NBA Jam is a memorable arcade game for many reasons. But the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of its fans is the game's announcer for iconic lines like this. It's the voice of Tim Kitzrow, whose performances have contributed to NBA Jam's longevity and its prominence in popular culture. Hi everyone, Tim Kitzrow from NBA Jam, boom shakalaka! The inspiration for Tim's character came directly from real-life commentators like Marv Albert. Two on the shot clock, Jackson, nice pass for Oakley, yes! as the shot clock had run down to one. In the voiceover booth, Tim would envision big plays and channel that energy into his performance. It was just so intuitive. I was like envisioning, you know, Jordan, great plays. I would have specific plays in my head for a specific line. I would see it first, often, you know, just a couple takes. The you know, jump off point was realizing that to me, Marv Albert, compared to other sports broadcasters, he brought that extra energy as uh, Kevin Harlan does now. And I knew that I wanted to emulate that. But somehow along the way, it just, you know, simply became me. I've also been a guy who played basketball my whole life. And like every kid in the backyard, I would always call it out. Kitro with three seconds left, two, one, from the corner, he gets it, they win! You know, so I'm just yelling, screaming. Every kid's done that. Anyone who's ever played sports has called the, you know, the play, the home run, you know, the, you know, play at the plate. So that was no different than just being a kid playing. Basically, we were we were just trying to capture the sound of the NBA on NBC game of the week because that's really where you know we got our our basketball back then, and and that person happened to be Marv Albert. So if you turn on a telecast and you just start writing down lines that you hear a lot, you know you'll you'll get the whole NBA Jam script rejected. He's heating up. He's on fire. That was uh, Vinnie Johnson, the uh, microwave from from the Detroit Pistons. You know, they were always playing the Bulls and that was, you know, always the game of the week, you know, when the Bulls played. And I translated it into, you know, took what he had, which is that, you know, high energy, kind of high end top of his register, higher than my voice. You know, I have a a deeper voice, but Marv is always, you know, way up high. Wilkins with a starter step, rebound, Newman. So I would, you know, from downtown. So that's where I kind of got that that uh, timber, that that tone that you know that uh, NBA Jam had, based off of like what I heard, and then just making it my own. NBA Jam was the first video game that Tim ever worked on, but back in 1992, he had no idea just how much a few hours in the recording booth would shape his voice acting career. I'm James Parkinson from Lawson Media. This is Gameplay, a show about video games and the virtual worlds that power culture and community. Tim Kitzrow's path to voice work for video games was accidental, but ever since he was young, he's had a passion for creative fields like acting, improv, and music. 
I was uh, fortunate to have a, a good background with my dad uh, being in charge of the audiovisual department at a school where he was a teacher and he would bring home movies uh, on the movie projector and we watched the Marx Brothers and Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin. So all the great classic uh, comedy, physical comedy I loved. And uh, then when Monty Python came along, I was just knocked over. It was, a, you know, they were the Beatles of uh, comedy and uh, just could not get enough of those guys. And uh, that was really the start of it. Then Second City, SCTV, uh, the Canadian uh, TV show, uh, was another huge influence. Uh, John Candy, Joe Flaherty, Eugene Levy, all those great people. So I was uh, really hardcore into that, that style of uh, comedy and improv. I was uh, one of uh, seven children and uh, always a, a big ham and entertainer in the family. And the goal was to get someone to spit milk through their nose at, uh, at dinner. Same thing in school, just loved horsing around, uh, got involved with uh, theater very early and decided I would, uh, with watching SCTV, that I would get my own video camera, which at the time was a Betamax for $1,700 and start making my own comedy videos and uh, got all kinds of outfits from thrift stores and played multiple characters, lots of physical comedy with my brother. So uh, it was always going, ongoing, uh, along with uh, playing drums in both high school, college, after college, always had a band uh, going. So uh, yeah, just uh, kind of a natural uh, progression of, of uh, loving creativity on any level. Tim attended Purchase College to study acting, a university that's seen its fair share of famous graduates. Uh, my roommate was Stan Tucci, uh, Vin Raines uh, was in the, there, so a lot of big names uh, came out of that place, but it was more classically uh, focused uh, training. And uh, I had always enjoyed comedy so much, so I wanted to kind of balance my training and uh, came to uh, Chicago, but uh, uh, loved sports. Uh, loved improv, had my own improv group, made comedy videos back in the 80s, and uh, made audio recordings, uh, trying to shop them around to radio stations, comedy audio recordings. So I had been, you know, kind of grooming myself without realizing it for the perfect job, which would include acting, voice, writing, etc. Full-time gigs were hard to come by, though. So like many working actors, Tim was also a waiter in restaurants. But he still found ways to be creative in a completely different industry. The fun thing is, uh, I wasn't one of those bitter waiters because I actually enjoy the uh, the industry and uh, enjoy the camaraderie. It's kind of like acting, kind of like you know the you know the game world. Like it's an interesting group of creative people. You usually wind up in restaurants. I was also, uh, for some reason, very interested in design because I was part of a lot of restaurants that were actually built from the ground up. And with my theater background, you know, painting sets, collecting furniture from thrift stores, I had this sense that I could always make a great space. So I started to offer design services and painting services, and that led to me doing a total interior design for a 10,000-foot <laughs> nightclub, oddly enough. And that went to uh, doing a restaurant that ended up being a Michelin star restaurant two or three more restaurants, uh, you know, so I started to do interior design and love that, the creativity of putting together a room, hiring, you know, artisans, you know, fashioning things, uh, you know, out of uh, found items and, and, you know, antique and salvage stores. So, yeah, that was the other, the other uh, balance for, uh, for my career. Ending up in Chicago, Tim's career was set to take an unexpected turn, but he found himself in the right place at the right time, just by chasing his many creative interests. 
I was pursuing acting in uh, Chicago, New York, and LA, various different places in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and wound up here in Chicago uh, to attend Second City to uh, go to their training center. And uh, in the meantime, was uh, auditioning for acting roles, commercial roles, et cetera, and uh, had some friends that uh, would get together on the weekend, and uh, I played drums for them, and uh, a couple of the guys in the band worked at Midway, uh, Bally Williams, were responsible for putting sound in the games, audio uh, for pinball games. So I was hired to do uh, Mr. Howell from uh, Gilligan's Island, and... Uh, did that and went on to do about 15 other pinball games. So I was kind of the, their voice at their studio. Midway's parent company, Bally, merged their pinball division with Midway in 1982, before this new division was purchased by Williams Electronics in 1988. And although Midway had been making arcade games throughout the 70s and 80s, it was a world that Tim didn't know much about. He'd played some pinball and other mechanical arcade games, but that was about it. I had no idea. I had no idea, you know, what, what was out there, what to expect, what the industry was all about. So, you know, I was I was busy doing my own thing, you know, at pursuing acting, pursuing music, just, uh, you know, living my life. Growing up, there was no, there were no, you know, video games as a part of my childhood and, you know, adolescent memories. So uh, I, I really had no idea what I was doing, you know, getting into that business. I knew that I loved playing pinball, but pinball 15 games later, you know, I still didn't know much about the industry, still couldn't play worth a lick. Uh, it was just a, a fun extra gig for extra money, extra beer money. So, you know, going in and doing, uh, you know, working for $50 an hour to do uh, Gilligan's Island. I did the Twilight Zone, Attack from Mars, The Shadow, uh, uh, World Cup Soccer. It was just going in and having fun. And actually, this time I was getting paid for it instead of sitting around having a beer, you know, you know, horsing around with friends. It was it was the way, you know, musicians fall into good gigs. If you're a good musician, you like jamming, you play with whoever's playing, you play with good people. And uh, fortunately for me, I didn't set out as I've got to make. Well, first of all, maybe unfortunately, I didn't set out saying I've got to make money at this. It was just extra money and fun. So I didn't take it as seriously as a career. It was just something in the meantime till I landed the next thing or the bigger thing or the acting thing. And of course, the way the world works, uh, sometimes, you know, you, you have one plan and then it goes another way. When Midway started developing NBA Jam and needed a commentator, Tim was the first choice as their go-to voice actor. John Hay was the composer and sound designer on NBA Jam and wrote the script with approval from the game's lead designer, Mark Tamell. I used to just get regular calls because every you know every couple of months there was a new pinball game and it's like let's let's go to Tim and so this felt no different to me. Uh, John Hay called me and said, "Hey, we've got this uh, new basketball game. You know, would you like to do it? What a wonderful thing! You know, I've auditioned for so many years. You know, hundreds and hundreds of voiceover auditions. You know, national commercials, everything else. You know, to have someone say, "Hey, would you like to do this job?'" because we like you. That was just a, a wonderful thing. And uh, of course, you know, I said yes, and I didn't even realize how it all came about. And I've learned a lot of back history. They never even considered someone else. So how cool is that, that I just thought, oh, good, I got another gig. I, I get to work next week. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's oh, it's not pinball, it's video. Okay, cool. Basketball, I love basketball. Okay, you know, I'll be fine with this. I'll love this. The recording studio at Midway was known as the Meat Locker, and it was nothing more than a five foot by five foot vocal booth tucked away in the pinball factory. 
I mean, the whole studio, as I said, was just kind of an afterthought of they had two buildings, one where the video game uh, offices uh, were for Mark Tamell and, you know, those guys. And the uh, their only recording studio at that time, because up to that point they were just doing pinball games, was in the back of a pinball factory. So it was like the size of a football field. There'd be hundreds of games and workers and noise and sound. Then you go to this back, darkly, you know, like uh, scummy-looking hallway and a couple little rooms with no windows and you know, drop ceilings. It was a, it was kind of a depressing little place, but it was cozy. It was like our little world. It was just the sound guys, uh, and there was this thing that kind of looks like a big meat locker. You know, not much bigger than a household uh, giant refrigerator, <laughs> and uh, a little, little, uh, little window to for me to see John. But you know what? That's so cool. Like that was the early days, and it was a very comforting feeling. Like when I got in that booth, it was my booth. And, uh, you know, I've been to sessions and, you know, you know, state of the art million dollar studios since and, you know, gigantic rooms and 10 people out behind the window. And, you know, it's, it, you know, any, anything's fine. I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've seen it all, but that is actually like my rosebud of the, uh, uh, the, you know, recording industries, like just, you know, my guy, John and me, a meat locker <laughs> and, and I had a, yeah, and I had a poster of Scottie Pippen. I remember for one of the versions, you know, dunking over, probably for Showtime, dunking over Carl uh, uh, Carl uh, Malone. So it was just like me. I would have a you know piece of inspiration there to look at. You know, I would always try to channel the game. I would always be seeing the game in my head as I called it. You know, uh, yeah, it was a great, great memory. So yeah, although it was kind of dingy and dark and small and everything else, it was it was home, and you know, it's where some of the best uh, best work was ever done. Because the game's software didn't have room for large audio files, the commentary script had to be short, but that also suited the fast pace of the gameplay, and the recording sessions only spanned about 20 hours. Sounds about right, and, and for most of those things, I, I was probably about 20 minutes away from the studio, and I was just so used to, you know, jumping the car, running over there, hour here, hour there for pinball games. So it was, it was what I remember was kind of the same thing. Like, you know, we do two hours today or three hours that day. It was just back and forth for, you know, a period of a few weeks. Worthy. And compared to the dialogue for most modern sports games, Tim mostly had to voice one-liners, with a few variations of things like player names. NBA Jam had three. Pippin, Pippin, Pippin! <laughs> so where did that iconic line, Boom Shakalaka, come from? Well, legend has it, it was suggested by John Carlton, one of the game's artists. He'd been listening to the funk group Sly and the Family Stone, and one particular line in some backing vocals was stuck in his head. You know, the stories that John Carlton was listening to Sly and the Family Stone, and they were singing, I want to take you higher, and there's a, you know, little chorus in there where they go, boo shakalaka laka boo shakalaka laka bow down I want to take you high. But it was, they were just like, boo shakalaka laka boo shakalaka They weren't saying boom shakalaka. They were saying boo shakalaka laka boo shakalaka boo shakalaka, whatever. So he just said, he goes, Hey, John, tell Tim to say boom shakalaka. Once again, this is the story that I heard. I'm there, but I don't remember it. But I do remember vaguely John just saying to me, Say boom shakalaka. And I just said, what does that mean? He goes, I don't know, just say it. <laughs> and I went, boom shakalaka. Ooh, boom shakalaka. He went, yeah, that's probably good. All right, moving on. <laughs> that's it. That's it. 
Although he didn't know it at the time, those few quick takes would go on to become one of the most recognised sounds in the arcades, and Tim emerged as the voice of Midway Sports Games. That's next on Gameplay. Now what's that buzzer buzzing all about? Oh, well, in the second quarter? Nope, probably should have known that. And that should do it here for the first half. One of the things I'm most proud of about Gameplay is the wonderful community of listeners that's formed around the show. I love hearing directly from people like you on social media or email and reading all the great reviews on Apple Podcasts. But I also love hanging out and talking games on the Gameplay Discord. It's a friendly and welcoming space and it's open to everyone. So come and join us, head to gameplay.co and click on join our Discord. See you there. Tim Kitzrow wasn't the kind of guy to hang out in arcades, but when he heard that people were excited about NBA Jam, he wanted to check it out for himself. And that was like, you know, this moment where I went, wow, this is something. This is like, you know, made the, the equivalent of being you know, a, a group that hears their song on the radio for the first time. It's like, this is a hit. And, <laughs> and I got kind of charged and, uh, and I'm watching, I'm thinking, funny thing is, no one knows I'm you know, the voice, the actor of the show. It was kind of weird, but it was kind of cool to just be like the invisible man. But I couldn't resist sometimes just by accident, didn't think about it, but I'm watching and I would start to say like, rejected, boom, shakala. You know, someone turned around, hey man, you sound like the dude in the game. I go, dude, I am the dude. <laughs> Always got a kick out of that because people would like scratch your head like, was that Santa Claus? Was that really Santa Claus? <laughs> How could that be the guy in the game? And they have the fun. And, you know, of course, I open up my mouth and then they're, it is, it is you. <laughs> when Tim entered the video game industry, he was just enjoying the ride and the extra cash on the side. But when it became clear that NBA Jam was a billion dollar hit, he started thinking differently about his approach to the work. I was out at Midway in their lunchroom and there was an article on the board, uh, you know, just like a Xeroxed article that said, NBA Jam breaks all records, makes a billion dollars in quarters first year. And I just said, who wrote this? This is funny. (laughs) I just absolutely convinced it was someone just having, you know, some fun, kind of like prop up the team and, you know, give them some confidence like, yeah, NBA Jam's a great game, but had no idea in reality the game made a billion dollars. And that was the moment my brain went, wait a minute, I made 900. What? (laughs) The fun thing is that back then, it was just literally all fun and games. And as my career went on, it it became like... uh, 
this kind of test of wills as far as, you know, a lot of business things, money things, because people in the voiceover industry have never, you know, been paid and, and protected the same way uh, uh, actors, uh, screen actors, uh, guild union actors are. I wasn't a member of the uh, the union back then. So that was a, a kind of tough part to reconcile that there, there was a lot of business stuff as I kind of grew up in the business to learn that, you know, I, I've got to fight to make a living here because suddenly it turned into my living. Following NBA Jam's original arcade release in 1993 and its follow-up, Tournament Edition, in 94, Acclaim Entertainment acquired exclusive rights. Off the back of NBA Jam, Tim went on to become the voice of other Midway Sports franchises, like NFL Blitz, NHL Hits, and MLB Slugfest. Midway presents NFL Blitz! And this game is underway! He goes flying! First down! And uh, so I, I realized at a certain point, like, I was more successful doing this, and I had more power, more creativity. Welcome to Boston! They got their two front teeth, and let's do this! You know, I wasn't, uh, you know, going into a room of 20 people who looked like me to do a, you know, Bud Light beer commercial or a, a cheesy sitcom, you know, uh, audition or uh, extra part in a movie. This was people saying, we want Tim because Tim delivers the goods. To MLB's Slugfest 2003. Hi, everybody. Tim Kitzer here with you, along with my partner Jimmy Shorts. And Jimmy, this is going to be a good matchup today. Oh, the last time these two teams went at it, there were fireworks, and I love it when our stadium is filled with fireworks after a home run. And now sit back. It's time to play ball. It wasn't until. Toward the end that uh, I started to get real money at Midway because I also was writing the scripts beginning with NFL Blitz. Uh, I would do the majority, especially all of my material, the color stuff, you know, the, the, the technical stuff, you know, the writers would take care of. Uh, with Slugfest, I, I wrote, you know, all the creative color commentary. I was the one who suggested bringing in Kevin Matthews to do Jimmy Shorts, great comedian here, and he had this great alter ego voice, Jimmy Shorts. So that was actually the most exciting part of my career. I was not only, you know, making really good money, I was writing and basically in charge of the content. It was like, you know, being Seth MacFarlane or, or whoever, you know, from The Simpsons, like, here's the world, now paint it. You know, because uh, Slugfest was going to be a wild, over-the-top game, but, you know, where are they going to go with hiring somebody? They're not, you know, they're going to get a, a local TV broadcast, they're going to get a national sportscaster. It wouldn't fit because the game was, you know, bigger, you know, crazier, over-the-top. And so luckily, once again, Mark Turmel said, this is yours. And we don't know what it's going to sound like. We know what it's going to look like. So I was given the opportunity to basically create the whole world. That was, you know, to me, that's the biggest success. You know, the money is, you know, always, to me, a separate issue. It's like you, you always fight in, in the creative world defining success. Is it money? You know, is it fame? For me, it starts out with uh, creative satisfaction. Uh, so I, I did at that moment at least, you know, have all of those worlds together, making good money, very creative, very satisfied, and it was a critical and commercial success. Tim's last performance for MLB Slugfest came in 2006, and for Tim, the work began to dry up as Midway was having some financial trouble. 
He was contracted to work on a few more games, but they never eventuated. I don't remember the exact day when, like, when it all ended. You know, I'd done my last Slugfest game. I was making good money. I was supposed to do a few more, and it ended. And there, I just bought my first condo, you know, got out of the restaurant business, and then I'm like, I got to go back to the restaurant business, you know. So there was a, a dry period because arcade games especially had uh, basically died. Everything was sim games and home games. So uh, I was kind of left out in the cold. So it was kind of hard to, you know, reinvent myself. And uh, and then I started, you know, I was working at Smith & Walensky Steakhouse. And, you know, I never wanted to talk about what I did. But, you know, a couple of guys found out. And like, oh, wow, that's cool. You did a I'm Like, wow. So what other games are you doing? And, uh, and I had that moment of like, I'm out of work. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm one of those guys who had a t- hit TV show or a big, you know, song on the radio, and it had its moment in pop culture. My 15 minutes are up, and here we go. Here's real life again. By 2009, Midway had filed for bankruptcy protection and eventually sold off its assets to Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. With the claim also out of business since 2004, the rights for NBA Jam ended up in the hands of EA Sports, and with a remake on the cards, Tim soon found himself back behind the microphone. A member of the EA team had found Tim on Facebook, and they wanted the original voice of NBA Jam for their game. I thought that the industry was over for me, and I get this call, is this Tim Kitzrow? I was like, yeah. He's like, hi, this is Jenny from EA Sport. I was wondering um, if you'd like to make another NBA Jam. And I just, you know, felt like I was being pranked or something and didn't quite know what to, to think. And I said, yeah, uh, sure, well, tell me what your rates are and blah, 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 blah. And uh, I, you know, I ran over to my head and I was thinking, well, they can't make another NBA Jam because... What did I think? Well, because arcades are dead, they do all sim games. And they're in, and EA Sports, I didn't even know that they had bought, you know, certainly I didn't know that they had bought the title from all the Midway Sports titles, whatever. So I thought that she was actually calling me to maybe do a cameo, basically, like, you know, a, a voice in a, you know, a sim game, a referee or a this or a, a part. But I didn't think it was actually NBA Jam and actually the role of the announcer for a a franchise, any franchise, let alone NBA Jam. But next thing you knew, Tim was on a plane to Vancouver, getting picked up from the airport in a limo and being greeted by employees at EA Sports HQ. Coming from working double shifts at a restaurant five days a week, Tim was only too happy to meet them. And the producer says, hey, I hope you wouldn't mind, Tim, but before we go into the recording studio, could you do me a favor? You know, the guys on the team are just so excited you being here. Can you take time to just talk to them or, you know, meet them? And I went, yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> and and there's like 25 people with their cameras, their Sharpies lined up waiting to shake my hand, take a picture, have me sign their thing. I'll tell you, I was so moved, you know. These guys thinking I'm something, and I'm thinking like, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm just crawling out of the, <laughs> back from the grave. And uh, I was just uh, just so floored, you know, that, that there was that kind of respect. And that's when it, that was the first time it hit me like, oh, I did something. It wasn't just a popular game, but it meant something to people. Tim says that for the EA Sports gig, he was actually making less money than the peak of his career at Midway. But this time he had even greater creative freedom. 
it was absolutely start from scratch, brand new. And I wrote 100% of the, the creative color work in it, you know, was me. And there was just maybe, you know, some guys filled in a few things, like basic things that had to be said, and obviously printing up the list of names and teams. But I, I wrote the whole script. And that's where, you know, when pe- people talk about the su- success of the first game, I really feel sometimes like all I was doing is parroting what we heard on TV. This time, it was like, okay... Now I've got my persona from NFL Blitz, from Slugfest. I'm not just a realistic commentator, announcer. I'm Tim Kitzrow, Mr. Boomshock Lock, so I'm going to have fun with it. So like, you know, the block doctor is in, and we'll see you now, like my wife always says, not tonight. Or, you know, from the corner, look, rummaging through his girlfriend's top dresser drawer, he finds nothing but nylon. Kaboom! You know, it was coming up with, oh, I love it when you call me Big Blocka. What's my favorite time of year? Blocktoberfest. Beers are on me. You know, that's when it became me. Like, my persona, 100%. I wasn't imitating Marv anymore. I wasn't just doing, you know, lines that were basically for NBA Jam, for all intents and purposes, was a sim game. It wasn't supposed to be funny. It was big sounding because it was... Uh, an over-the-top arcade game, but there were no ridiculous lines in it. You know, like, ugly shot, can't buy a bucket. Those were all real lines that were used. So it wasn't until Blitz, the other games, and the EA Sports version where I became the guy that not only am I writing the script, but I'm I'm like a, a director saying, here's what I envision for this line. Lays it up! Somebody should put a straight jacket on this guy! Oh, snap! Having honed his persona over many years and seeing the value of his contribution to the NBA Jam franchise, Tim took on a newfound control of his career. He started working conventions, appearing on TV, and producing special video packages for NBA teams, like the Golden State Warriors. He even led an event with the LA Clippers for the game's 25th anniversary in 2018, which included being the PA announcer for an actual NBA game. You know this voice right here because uh, if you got that game, you hear that voice all the time. That's Tim Kitzrow. He is the original voice from NBA Jam. He is Mr. Boom Shakalaka himself, and he's going to be a PA announcer on uh, NBA Jam Day, and you're going to be doing some of the highlights and everything. 25 years later, is it still surprising that this game still resonates with so many people? Not really. This was a $2 billion franchise. It is a $2 billion franchise. came out in 93, the golden age of video games, and then set the gold standard. They saw the value in 25 years of nostalgia and uh, uh, the success of that. I was interviewed by ESPN. They did a feature article, stayed on the front page for like two weeks of their online site. And then ESPN uh, Sports Center called me. They wanted me to do commercials for the last game of that uh, season. And uh, so they ran a week of commercials that I recorded. And then they spliced together with all the different uh, improv stuff that I gave them. They did the highlights for the last day on Sports Center with Neil and Stan. So there's like the most uh, rewarding moment where like full circle from, you know, a few years back in 2010, working the doubles in the restaurant to hustling and all that stuff was like, I didn't have a company. I didn't have an agent who was going out and saying, hey, you got to make this happen. It's 25th anniversary. So I thought, well, I've got to remind them I'm still here and I can make your product better. So that's why I started cold calling NBA teams. All this stuff happens because I envision what I want to do and I, and I go out and, you know, and I do it. And I don't feel like I'm ever, uh, it, nothing's beneath me as far as like the hustle. The hustle, if you're, you know, musician, actor, whatever, you're, you're always hustling for the next gig. So 
that's what I, I learned. Never give up and always, always keep hustling. For all you Dub Nation gold diggers and trophy hunters, meet your new sugar daddies and world champs. The Warriors have won back a trophy and put the gold back in Golden State where it belongs. I'm Tim Kitzer saying, see you next year. Boom shakalaka. You know, my brand of Mr. Boom Shaklaka is to entertain NBA fans, and, and it's worked, you know. So uh, hopefully, you know, that for me is is that step that's like, you know, take me to the next level because it, it's, it brought a lot of attention, you know. People love seeing that because they're just so used to seeing the same kind of highlights, you know. So what can I do to give you something you haven't seen before? What does three-time champ Steph Curry have for breakfast? Snap, crackle, and pop! Make it a part of your balanced NBA diet. And then you have people, oh, that is, that's the NBA Jam guy. You know, because of course I sprinkle in with a little, you know, he's on fire, kaboom, boom, shakalaka. You know, you got to give them the oldies, but now you got the new material. So it's like a stand-up comic. I'm not just, if I ran out there, did my top 10 from the original NBA Jam, people would be like, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> you know, you got it, you got it, you got it. My job is to entertain. That's the reason, you know, I've, I've been doing this so long because it's not just, I'm not just a guy who reads a script. You can't just hire any guy to just sit behind the microphone and go, okay, read it. You know, where's the content? Who's writing the content? You know, and, and now, you know, the content is all mine. So anything you hear, that's, that's my brand. That's my style. It's been over a decade since EA's NBA Jam, and we still haven't seen the new edition hit consoles. There were rumours of another release to coincide with the 25th anniversary, but that came and went with no word from EA Sports, and it felt like a huge missed opportunity. With the original game getting a revival thanks to Arcade 1UP's special edition cabinets, that could spark EA back into action in the future, and Tim Kitzrow would certainly love to be involved again. He's experienced all the highs and lows over his acting career, and he's gone on to do a variety of sports games, most recently Mutant Football League in 2018. But NBA Jam is the game that just keeps on giving. You know, people around the world, you know, still care, uh, still have a sweet spot for NBA Jam, and my, my contribution for it uh, is, you know, appreciated by a lot of people, and, and uh, that's uh, really good stuff, you know, after all these years. I said money's always one thing, but it's, it's the fact that people actually genuinely enjoy, you know, what I did and, and, and have some good memories. So uh, I, I consider myself one of the luckiest people on earth, you know, uh, to, to be in the right place, the right time, the right city, and it, turned out that, you know, all of my different talents and passions kind of came together. So very, very lucky, lucky moment in my life. Thanks so much to Tim Kitzrow for sharing his story. And if you want your own personalised recording from Tim, you can commission him to do one for you. Whether it's a birthday greeting for an NBA Jam fan in your life, a voicemail, whatever, you can get that at whosaidwhatnow.com. The song you're hearing is called What Else? Boom Shakalaka from the NBA Jam-inspired album of the same name, courtesy of Boom Baptist. You can grab it on Bandcamp, just tap the link in the episode description, or on our website, gameplay.co.
Gameplay is a production of Lawson Media. This episode was written and produced by me, James Parkinson. The gameplay theme was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our artwork is by Keegan Sanford and additional music from Epidemic Sound and Breakmaster Cylinder. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Gameplay Podcast. We also have a wonderful Discord community, so come and join us. I'd love to see you there. And if you'd like an ad-free feed of the show, become a Gameplay member and help us to make the podcast sustainable. You'll find all the links, plus episode transcripts and further reading on our website, gameplay.co. Thanks for listening.